good morning. Welcome to First Baptist Church. We are so glad that you have decided to join us this morning. Uh, you may have guessed by the fact that I'm standing here awkwardly holding my guitar that I'm not really sure what I'm going to do yet. So I have a couple ideas, and I've been going back and forth all week because it's been a week, right? Uh, but we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit today. And so I was thinking that maybe we might start with a campfire song to get things going, but then I was like, maybe not. And so, do we start with the campfire song? Okay, the chair of personnel says yes, so we're going to play it. All right, this is the, okay, I want, I know you just sat down. Do we have the words up there, Nathan? All right, so I, I'm going to ask you all to stand for a second. I got to push my little button, my jobber. So this is the fruit of the spirit song, all right? And it goes a little something like this. The spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit. Got it? Everybody got it? Try it one more time, and then we'll go into it, and I'll give you the chorus too, okay? The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit. Everybody got it? Okay, good. I know there's a part for some of you that have been at camp like, what about, but we're not doing the auxiliary parts. I apologize. You want to add that in, you go ahead and add that in for yourself, but my version doesn't have that, okay? Mostly because it messes with my rhythm. And then we go into, so we come out of the coconut thing, because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Everybody got it. I mean, I realize I just now taught you that song, so if it's not, it's okay. Like, you don't have to remember this, because, but it does help me remember the fruit of the Spirit, right? So, everybody good? Ready or not? Here we go. Oh, the fruit of the Spirit's not a coconut. Of the spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. You can't be a fruit of the spirit. Because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're going to stay with coconut because I don't want to confuse you more than I have to. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. The fruit of the spirit's not a coconut. If you want to be a coconut, you might as well hear it. Of the spirit, because the fruit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Very good, very good. You may be seated. I don't know about you, but I don't always remember those in order. And even as I sing the song, I want to reverse faithfulness and gentleness. And this these are important attributes for us to remember. You know, and, and we, 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 maybe you have memorized the passage, maybe you haven't. But these are things that, that are, are noted as being the fruit of the Spirit. These are the things that, that God's power and presence are, are supposed to bring about in our lives. And, and so I'm actually going to deviate from my notes a little bit. I know that, that for some of you, it's like, oh, it's going to go longer. Yes, it is. Um, but, but they've been in church for like... 12 days at Asbury, so like we can deal with an extra 15 minutes. And so that's what I'm bringing about. Like 
So people have asked me, and I'm going to write about it in next week's blog post, because for some of you that don't know, I went down to Asbury University this week to see what had happened, to see what was going on. Because I, I, I remember going to Grace College and being on the banks of Winona Lake, where Grace College is located, and, and them talking about the Billy Sunday revivals. All of you heard about the Billy Sunday revivals? Some of the older people maybe even went down to, or up to Winona Lake, but there, there, was, there were big revivals during the Billy Sunday era. And if you go to Wine on a Lake, there's, there's rows of houses up on top of this natural embankment and this bold out natural amphitheater. And, and there are pictures of summers where people would come and stay in what are now condos, but they were hotels. And people would plan their vacations, plan their vacations around going to the lake. Not so that they could play on the water, but so that they could sit on the side of the hill and listen to Billy Graham speak and, Dwight wrote, and participate as Dwight Rodeheaver led in music. To me, that is fascinating. Like, what, does, what has to be going on for that to be the, the normal co- course of action? For people to, to upend their schedules, and, and in that case, like, to plan their vacations around revivals. Now, I realize that doesn't feel very spirit-led because we plan on there being a revival every summer, but shouldn't we anyways? So I'm going to give you my confession, and I apologize if this offends you, but I can only give you my experience. So I went to the revival at Asbury thinking, man, this is going to be such a life-giving experience, and it's going to be so energetic, and I'm going to be so excited to be there with all these people worshiping, and to some degree, I was. I can't lie to you that when I got out of, we got, when we got out of our vehicle, we were parked just to give you a frame of reference about from where the door of our church is to the other side of the high school. That's how far away we were from the main, main building. And there were buildings between us. But when we came around that first building and were into where the corridors between buildings were, we could hear music. Now you may say to yourself, well, sure, they had speakers outside cranking music to the people standing on the front lawn. And that's true. But you know what we heard when we walked around that corner? It wasn't the speakers. It was the sea of humanity standing outside of Hughes Auditorium, waiting to get in or just hanging out after they'd left to keep singing. Just voices upon voices. I want you to put a pin in that for a second, okay? Just this wall of sound overtaking the instruments coming forward. Now, when you think about instruments, well, what kind of music did it? You know what? That wasn't even a question. No one cared. You, you, if you look on, online, you see that I posted a, a segment of How Great Thou Art. But they, they played a bunch of new songs, and several of them I didn't know. And if I'm being honest with you, some of them I didn't like. And then we had like this whole section where we sang, it was like I was back in high school singing 1990s worship songs again. And then they would break into some newer stuff, and then into some hymns. And, and it was just two kids, like literally two college kids, standing in the front with guitars and microphones. And another dude sitting over on a cajon. And someone, that was all it was. There were no lights, there was no smoke, there was no presentation. It was just kind of what we do here. Just really basic, a couple of people on an instruments, leading some worship. Doing some hymns, doing some old worship songs, doing some new worship songs. And it was cool. Their auditorium is amazing. You walk in and and they've got really cool stained glass that has the different religious motifs on it. But what's the coolest part for me is that they have stained glass skylights running the center of the chapel. Which is amazing. Huge skylights of stained glass. And and a really big, you could see the the pipes for the organ and really big, uh, you know, wooden thing that goes over where you 
I don't know what you call it. And, and it says at the top, it says, holy is the Lord. And it's super traditional, old school. And the, the stage was empty except for the students that were kind of dancing around. And every seat was full. And people were standing and people were sitting and people were dancing and people were praying. And it was kind of chaotic but also incredibly awesome. But I got in and I'm standing in my seat over on that side underneath the balcony. And I'm sitting there and I'm watching. And I was kind of disappointed. Because as I'm sitting there, I'm thinking, I don't feel anything. Like this, this doesn't feel big to me. And so I sat down and I started praying. And I'm like, God, this is awesome. And I'm excited about it. It's cool to have 1,500 people sitting in this auditorium singing praise. I've never met these people. It is fun to sing with them. It is, it is encouraging to see people from all different walks of life, all different, you know, Christian traditions, all different colors, creeds, etc. It is awesome to be standing in this room watching you do what you're doing. But Lord, this doesn't feel any different than what I did last Sunday at First Baptist Church. As a matter of fact, I maybe was more excited when I baptized Hayden Ship. And then the few weeks before, when I got to, to baptize the Woods girls, I was more excited when I got to do that. And then the week before that, when I got to baptize the Floyds and, and the Coates. And, and, and Lord, when we stand at our church, I can hardly sing over the kids singing from the front every Sunday. They're blasting us with sound from the front. And Lord, it, it is exciting. And we go a little bit long a lot of Sundays. And most people don't seem to mind that much. The one that notices the clock most is probably me. And I'm like, Lord, like I want to see your spirit move, but this doesn't feel different than what I see at First Baptist Church. And I hear, heard the voice of the Lord just stilly in my mind saying, isn't that how it's supposed to be? Like, shouldn't you feel the movement and the power of the Holy Spirit every day? But shouldn't we recognize, and, and perhaps the problem then isn't that, that God isn't moving or that God, and I struggle with the idea that God is doing a new thing. It is new for some people, make no mistake. But, but for most of us, the concept of revival means that there has been a first vivation, if you will. Meaning that we have already come to life in Christ. And so the issue isn't that the life of Christ isn't there, but that we are not aware of it. I was talking to Tim and, and Aaron this morning, and I, I used the illustration. Perhaps it's a lot like that old frog metaphor. You throw a frog into a boiling pot, and the frog's going to be like, man, it's hot in here. Right? But if, the, if that frog was in the pot when the water was cold, and it just is incrementally warming up around them, that frog is comfortable and at home in that heat. It's normal. I'm not trying to dismiss what's happening at Asbury. It is amazing. It was worth my time. And if you were considering going down, do it because they're closing it out on Wednesday. It was an amazing experience. And I would go do it again. But you know what I got most out of that experience? It wasn't some new movement of the Holy Spirit or no stirring in my heart. It was the recognition that what God is doing there, he's already been doing here for months. So perhaps Asbury Seminary, God bless them and love them, is just catching up with us. And even this morning as we started to a song and, and we tired Baptists began clapping for a song, I thought that's the spirit of God. As I watched the children dancing, I struggled to keep my composure every week and I watched them singing. 
that's the Spirit of God. When I was caught by a new attender, member of the church-to-be, and was told, hey, if the baptism's up, I want to be baptized this morning. That is the Spirit of God. Brothers and sisters, we're not missing out. In fact, if anything, we just need to become more aware of what God is doing right here because the fruit of the Spirit is not attributes but the people that demonstrate them. It is the movement of God in our hearts, in our minds, and and the changes that God makes to us, not just in a moment but every day of our lives. Let's pray and go home. (laughs) You wouldn't be so lucky. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, I do pray that you would be with us this morning. I pray that you would encourage our hearts and our minds. Lord, I am convinced that what you are doing at Asbury is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And it's on a scale that I have not seen or have rarely seen in my life. And God, I know that it is spreading from that place. And much like in Acts 2 where your spirit made a massive commotion and people came to see and then we're spread out to, sent out to be your witnesses. Lord, may that be the case now. May those that have experienced the stirring of your spirit, may they be encouraged. And Lord, may they take it home. And may the revival that is happening at Asbury in Wilmore, Kentucky, may it continue to spread to our churches all over this nation and all around the globe. Lord, we want to see you move. Lord, forgive us for the times where we're not aware or open to the movement of your spirit. The fact is you never leave us nor forsake us, that you are God with us all the time. So if there's an issue of immobility, it's not on your part, it's on ours. So God, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us openness to experiencing what you may be leading us into. Give us clean hearts, clear minds, And help us to act upon the freedom that you've given us in Christ to make you known and to become more like Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. If you have a Bible with you, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. And we're going to start in verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5, 13 through 25 says this. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the fleshly desire, flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit. And the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality. Impurity and debauchery. Idolatry and witchcraft. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy. Drunkenness and orgies and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, 
joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So we have this, this passage where Paul talks about this inner conflict, right? Where there's a battle that's described between the flesh and the spirit. And the battle is for control or influence over our hearts and minds. And if we start at the very beginning, Paul talks about the, the freedom that we have, that we're called to be free. We are called to, to this freedom where we can either demonstrate the evidences of God's presence or we can keep doing what we want. The overarching point that Paul makes in this passage, and Nathan helped us, Pastor Nathan helped us celebrate that or focus on that very well in the worship set as we focused on love. Because Paul is very clear that love is the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit within us. Love is the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit within us. It's really a question, this, this whole section here is about how does one live out their faith? What proof, what validation can we provide in our lives that we are people of faith? And in, on the other side of that, what, what can we look for as evidences of faith? Well, we kind of have to go back, though, because Paul starts with this idea of freedom, right? You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. It's kind of a strange way to start a, a, a section talking about attributes of fleshly living and desires and spirit-filled living and desires. We've got to go back to get it in full context, so let's look at Galatians 5, 1 through 6 right quick. Paul writes in Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Mark my words, I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. So Paul gives this contrast. He gives this opening statement. For, for freedom, you have been set free. That seems kind of confusing to me. For freedom, you have been set free. It's, it, it's, it is what it is. It's kind of one of those, those phrases that hits me a little bit like that. What exactly is it that we have been freed from? What is it that we have been freed to? Well, Paul gives a brief description, and we see it throughout the works of Paul, especially as we look in, into Ephesians, where Paul says that it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves, not of works, so that no one can boast. It's a, it's a regular feature of Pauline literature, of the letters that Paul wrote, that, that we are not saved by our own actions. We are not saved by works of the law. We are not saved by demonstrating our own righteousness. So what have we been freed from? Well, Christ has freed us from the responsibility of seeking to please God and earn our own salvation through our own strength. 
We've been freed from this, I've got to get me right so I can get into heaven. Because it's no longer about what I do. That's what Paul's argument is, that that we are either going to to try to live according to this rigid set of, of do's and don'ts. And Paul here is talking specifically about the Mosaic law. He is arguing, and I know some of you don't like the word arguing, but he is in fact arguing that we can't earn our salvation by living out those do's and don'ts. That no matter how hard we try to live according to a set standard to reach God's standard of holiness, we will always fall short. Right? All sin and fall short of the glory of God. If we look again in Romans, Paul says, I don't know what it is that I'm doing because what I want to do, I don't do. And what I hate, that's what I do. The struggle is real, right? We've all been there where the thing that we know we should do is right there in front of us. And there's a part of us that says, this is where I need to go. This is what I need to do. This is what will please God. But there's another part inside of us that really just doesn't care. Because while this will please God, this will feel good. And this will please me. And unfortunately, in each of our lives... We have to make that choice. Are we going to, as Paul says, be slaves to the law? Are we going to try to to beat ourselves down according to, now listen to me, I'm not saying that we should be licentious in our living. What I I mean by that is that that we don't have license to do whatever we want whenever we want. So I put a pin in that because that's where we're going, but I want to just stop everyone from freaking out right there. This is not a freedom to just do whatever you want whenever you want. But Paul is saying trying to self-regulate doesn't work. Brothers and sisters, we cannot legislate morality. As much as I would love to make laws, whether they be, if God's law didn't work to keep us in line, then what hope do man's laws have? If the threat of hell didn't work to keep mankind, if the threat of separation from God didn't work to keep mankind from touching the forbidden fruit, what does a fine or a speeding ticket or a quick trip to jail, what is that really going to do? And Paul is telling us that. You, let, holiness cannot be legislated. It cannot be lived out and achieved by, by our own actions. You know, there are over 600 commandments in the Mosaic Law. 600. We can't even keep the Big Ten on a daily basis. Right? Right? Without the saving grace of Jesus, we are all slaves to sin or slaves to our own self-righteous efforts through the law. As Paul says in Romans, as Paul says in Ephesians, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, ignorant and alienated from God according to his, what Paul has written. And that's, that's the thing, is that we are under the delusion before Christ that we were ever free in the first place. See, that's, that's the thing, is before Christ, you are not free. You are slave to sin. You are dead in your trespasses and sins. What can a dead person do about their deadness? Any of my doctors in the house want to tell me, what can a dead person do about their deadness? Not a thing. They're dead. I mean, we can't really even do something for them. That's, that's a hopeless situation, and, and that's what the Bible describes us as before Christ, without the Holy Spirit, without God rejuvenating our lives and reanimating us spiritually. We are dead. 
Which means we never had free will before Christ. We think we did, but it was an illusion. You know what our free will was? To decide how we were going to sin. That was it. We could try to do good, but we were always going to fall short. See, that's the grace of God. That's where we get it backwards. God doesn't take away our free will. He gives it to us. There's a concept called provenient grace, that God gives us enough grace that we can then decide. We can accept Christ or we can deny him. That is the freedom. Through Christ, we have an option and an actual valid avenue to salvation. And so our choice is that we can accept and pursue that avenue to salvation by grace through faith, or we can keep doing our own thing in our own way. The choice is ours. So in truth, Christ gives us true free will. We now have an option. Jesus has provided us with the freedom he talks about in Matthew to choose who it is that we will serve. Which master will we follow? Will we follow mammon, the flesh, our, our personal desires, money, success? Will we follow that or will we follow, will we follow God Almighty? Will we follow Christ and his example for us as he says, take up your cross daily and follow me. Which one will we follow? Will we follow the flesh or will we follow the spirit? Paul challenges these Galatians as he starts in verse 13 to choose wisely how they will use their freedom. He says, you're called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Your freedom is a great thing. But it also is extremely dangerous if we're honest with ourselves. Freedom puts decision-making power in our hands. And you may look at me and say, well, what's so dangerous about that? If, you know, I want to be the captain of my own ship. I want to decide my own fate. Well, how was that working for us before Jesus in the first place? But let's illustrate this for a second, right? And I didn't ask him if I could do this, but I'm going to talk about JJ for a minute. JJ recently received his license. We got new drivers on the road. He's not the only one. I know there are several in the congregation. But JJ now has his license. And so he can get behind that machine of death on his own, at his own will, and decide where he's going to want to go when he wants to go. Right? He, he, has, he is a relatively free man. Provided he has the keys and a little bit of gasoline, he can decide where he's when, when he leaves in the morning, he can decide to some degree, at least once, whether he's going to go to school or somewhere else. <laughs> right? That freedom is in his hands. J.J. has the wheel. Right? J.J. determines where he's going. And i got to be honest, as a parent, I'm not really worried about J.J. not going to school. But as a parent, having been in control of where my kids go and what, what happens, and having been in the car with him as, as he was learning, there's... There's a little bit of concern there every once in a while, right? Especially since now he's not just driving an automatic car, but we've added the added element of stick shifting, right? Like I've got a couple parents in here with kids with stick shifts. I'm looking at them all like, mm-hmm, come on, preach now, right? So they're driving the car, and, 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 and that, that is a dangerous proposition because now he no longer has anyone in the car to, to tell him when he needs to break, right? Because kids need that. As a husband, apparently I need that. Brake lights, brake lights, brake lights, right? Sitting with your kid and you're driving and the car is 150 yards away, but you see someone braking up there, so you start tapping them. Brake, brake, brake! 
Or you're driving and, and, and they're kind of just drifting a little bit to the right. And so you kind of reach over and you help the car over to the left. Right? When you give them the wheel and you give them the keys, they have freedom. And so now, if, if they're really drifting over to the sidewalk, that's why that joke is there when your kids get driver's license, right? Hey, stay off the sidewalks. You know why that joke's there? Because some 16-year-old wasn't paying attention and mowed some people down on the sidewalk somewhere, right? Or the parent was in the car, and they've watched that kid come over like, hey, you know, get way over. We've seen that. And, and it's not that I'm, JJ is a great driver. I'm not trying to, to mock him. I'm just telling you, we understand the reality of control. A car is a weapon, right? They show you videos to show the damage that a car can do. A 1988 Fox Body Mustang is a high velocity, high power weapon. I have put my son in a Cold War era missile. And he has control over that thing. He has the freedom and responsibility to decide. He's free. And Paul says, in Christ, you're free. You can drive where you want to go and do what you want to do. And God has given you that authority. How are you going to use it? Are we going to use it responsibly to try to follow Christ and to take up our cross and go where he leads? Or are we going to go our own way? Are we going to go off course? Are we going to go off road and do whatever it is that we want? Paul says, be careful how you use your freedom. Don't indulge in the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. Paul tells us that's, that's where the law is. The entirety of the law can be fulfilled in one commandment. Isn't that interesting that here, all these years later, we're, we're probably some uh, 25 to 30 years after Jesus passed away or, or ascended. That's, that's when they estimate that this was written. So we're 25 years later, and, and by that time, they had condensed the law down even further. Jesus said the two greatest commands are, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself. Well, no one struggled with the whole loving God thing. They were okay with that. You know what's hard? Loving your neighbor. Not just loving your neighbor, but loving your neighbor as you love yourself. See, that's, that's, that's where we get part of that command wrong, is we want to just say that we just have to love our neighbor. No, brothers and sisters, you don't just have to love your neighbor. You have to love them and care for them as you would care for your very self. Or, or even to use Christ's thing as Christ cared for us, to go even further the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. Paul is saying that the freedom that God provides allows us to achieve the end of the law without the means. We're able to achieve the end of the law without the means. Rather than hoop jumping and, and doing all these rules and regulations, instead of doing all that, we simply follow Jesus. We simply follow the lead and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And we allow them to move and work in us in the ways that we're ne we need. Now, I, I want to be very clear uh, that, that this is a supernatural act of God. There's a reason that these are called the fruit of the Spirit. And that the fruit of the flesh is what naturally comes out of us. If we could do it on our own, we would have done it on our own. But we can't. Our freedom in Christ, though, turns things upside down. 
We no longer rely on good works to produce salvation. Rather, our salvation is able to then produce good works in and through us. We can do what Paul says, love rather than biting and devouring. Now Paul's wording here, this in, in verse 15, if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. It's wording that, that brings to mind the imagery of two animals fighting, right? Two, two dogs biting at each other and, and, and gnashing their teeth at one another and getting a hold of flesh. They're biting at one another and trying to destroy one another. You know, you and I have a similar phrase to what Paul is saying here. It's a dog-eat-dog world. Survival of the fittest. Is there a more me-focused, me-centric mentality out there? That if I'm stronger than you, then I have the right and the opportunity to subdue you. To lift myself above you. And we may look at each other and shake our heads, well, that's not what it. Yes, it is. Because that's how we live. We climb over one another. We use one another as footstools to get ahead, to move on. We, 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 we don't really worry about what other people are doing so long as they're in our rear view. It's a dog-eat-dog dog world. But you know what? Animals are slaves to those instincts within them. It's their nature. It's an impulse that, that they in and of their own selves cannot control. It's a popular ideology about humanity today, isn't it? That we're just animals. We're, we're no different than any other animal in the animal kingdom. And if that's the case, then, then let's, let's take Ecclesiastes literally and let's eat, drink, and be merry and do whatever we want because tomorrow we die. And there's no hope of change. But Paul says there is hope of change. Not only is there hope, but we have a responsibility to live into it by the power of the Spirit. That we can be different. We can undo and unseat the programming that is set within us. And mind you, it is not the programming that God intended from creation. It was never intended that we would be so self-focused. That is a result of the curse. Pre-curse, Adam and Eve lived in a perfect harmony, right? But as soon as sin entered the picture, what did they do? Hey, it was that, that animal you created, it made me do it. The devil made me do it. Hey, that woman, you put her here with me. Like, if this is really anyone's fault, God, it is your fault. We, we, we do that. We want to point the fingers. We want to use others to get ahead, and, and our natural impulse is to defend ourselves, to take care of ourselves, and to do what makes us happy, to do what brings us pleasure. Too often we fall into the old pattern, that, that instinctual pattern. But in Christ we have a choice. We have been freed from the obligation of the law. We have been freed from the power of sin. We have been freed to follow Christ. And Christ says the evidence of the Holy Spirit within us is love. Pastor Nathan read it off this morning from John 13, 34. 35, by this the world will know that you are my disciples, by your great theology. By this the world will know you are my disciples, by you having the right worship songs. By this the world will know that you, have the right, that you are my disciples, by having pews rather than chairs. By this the world will know you are my disciples, by wearing the right clothes on a Sunday morning. 
By this the world will know that you are my disciples, by not having lighting on the stage. You know, it doesn't say any of those things. Jesus doesn't say that, that they're going to know we're his disciples by jumping through hoops and, and, and this sense of self-holiness. You know what Jesus says is going to be the ultimate marker of the follower of Christ? By this, the world will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. You know why I think he points to that? Because that's the difficult one. We can do the right thing when it brings about good results for me. At least for a while. But Jesus says we're supposed to turn this upside down. We no longer live for us. We live for Christ. And if we are living for God, we should be loving others. Love is the greatest evidence of the Holy Spirit within us. The produce of our lives will prove which spirit we're serving. We don't like that today. We don't like the fact that, that, that someone could look at our lives and our actions and our attitudes and evaluate us and say, yeah, that person is following Jesus. We like to throw the judgment card around, right? Heaven forbid someone look at us and see us doing something that is without question wrong. Heaven forbid they look at us and say, you know what, you shouldn't do that. You know what, that's wrong. You know what? That's not in keeping with Scripture. We are so offended by that. We are more offended by someone telling us that we are wrong than by the wrong we have done. And brothers and sisters, that's a problem. The, 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 the offense is that someone recognized that we did wrong, not that we did it. Because how often is it the case that when someone points to us, hey, you did this and it was wrong, that they're right? <laughs> more often than not. Oh, you're being so judgy. Oh, that we would be a little bit more judgy in the right ways. Oh, oh, that we would discern the realities of our lives, that we would look at the fruits we are producing in our own lives and in the lives of others and have the grace and compassion to say, hey, this is not right. We need to get this right. We need to follow Jesus. Is that what Jesus would do? We need to follow Jesus, not in a condescending I'm better than you way. That's when it becomes a problem. But in a humble way, understanding that all of us are fumbling our way into the kingdom. That none of us is running a good race. That we only get in because Christ has won and he's welcomed us to the party. But we need to understand that the produce of our lives will prove what spirit we're serving. And Paul talks about the conflict that is going on in our lives in verse 16 to 23. He talks about the spirit of the flesh and the fact that we have this desire to gratify our own desires and to please ourselves. But that, that God is calling us to live differently and to love others and to take care of the world around us. And he's telling us that there's this battle, this con continually conflict of good and evil in our hearts and minds. And Paul encourages us at the very beginning of verse 16. He says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Now, I'm not much of a dancer. Like, people assume that I am because I can play the guitar and I can keep rhythm. But if it's anything beyond this, I got nothing for you. Nothing. Nothing at all. Like, I have no intrinsic rhythm without a guitar in my hand whatsoever. I'm not a dancer. But, 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 if I'm with a good partner, I can fake it a little bit. Right? 
Because in any dance, when you have two people dancing together, in theory, one partner is leading and one partner is following. And I understand that in the old archaic way of thinking and a patriarchal system that the man is supposed to lead. It's the new millennium, folks. The woman can lead. And when I'm dancing with Michaela, she knows what she's doing. I don't. She leads. I follow. And you know what? She even gives me instructions. We did a, a dance thing at a recital not too long ago, and, and Michaela would be giving me, like, little cues as we're going. And make no mistake, if you ever watch the video, she is moving me where she wants me to go. I know the steps I need to make because they taught me, but I'm not really good at making them take me where I'm supposed to go. And so Michaela is moving me across the floor the whole time. And I would, I'd like to submit to you that, that our lives are much like a dance. That all of us are ultimately going to choose a spiritual partner. And you will not lead. The spirit you choose will guide you. If you choose to give in to the flesh that is fighting for the lead in your lives, it is going to take you. If you give in to the lead of the Holy Spirit, it too will take you. We're going to be led one way or another. But which partner will we walk with? Which partner will we follow? It's what Paul is asking here. We, we've all felt that internal conflict between what we want to do as followers in, of Jesus, right? And the inner sinner that continually pushes us towards what would please us most. And the outcome is determined by which partner we follow. The battle continually rages within Paul tells us that in verses 16 to 23 and encourages us to be led by the Spirit. But then he, he goes into this new section where he talks about, in contrast, the, the, the acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. The acts of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. And, and it's reminiscent of the comments of Jesus, the, that the usage of the terminology fruit takes me back to the, the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, in the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus tells his followers, those that are listening, that by a fruit you will know the tree. By the fruit you will know a man or a woman. By the produce of their lives, the quality of the fruit will tell you the quality of the person, much as the quality of an apple will tell you the quality of that tree. That good works will come from good trees. And bad works will come from bad trees. While the outworking of our lives don't save us, they do indicate the quality of our, our character and choices in that moment. Right? I'm going to say that again. While the outworkings of our lives don't save us, they don't even necessarily show whether we are Christian or not or believers, but they do demonstrate in that moment the quality of our character. Have you, ever, have you ever done something or had someone do something to you where afterwards they apologize and they say something to this effect? I'm so sorry. That's not who I am. Any of you ever said that before? Any of you ever heard someone say that before? I am so sorry. That's not who I am. I'm going to argue with that statement. That may not be who you usually are, but in that moment, that is exactly who you were. In that moment, that is exactly 
who may not be who you want to be, but it's who you were. May not be who you're going to be, but it's who you were. In that moment, you produced bad fruit. And the quicker we own that, the quicker we can cultivate the spirit in within us that is going to produce good fruit. But we've got to be honest. And we've got to evaluate the fruit of our lives. Are we producing acts of the flesh or fruit of the spirit? Now, Paul lays out these acts of the flesh in verses 19 through 21. I'm, I'm not going to explain them all. You can look into them later. But suffice it to say they're categorical. If you look in your Bible, the punctuation actually helps you with that. Because there are commas and then there are semicolons, right? And the commas are, are subdividing similar like things. And then there's a semicolon that tells you that he's moving on thematically to another category of sin. Now, I want to be clear about something. As we look at these acts of the flesh, this is not all inclusive. This is the Cliff's Notes. So maybe you look at this and say, like, well, I do things that aren't on this list. I'm sure you do. We all do. But Paul's just hitting the high notes so that, that people aren't reading the letter and getting lost in the details. So I'm going to give you the, the, the high notes of the, the acts of the flesh. First, Paul gives self-gratification. He talks about sexual impurity or sexual immorality, sexual impurity and debauchery. These actions are all about pursuing pleasure and the fulfillment of our own desires. Now, we like to get lost in the sexual side of things because that's our American Western way and sexual sins are worse than all other sins. That's where we like to camp and to set things up. But, but you know what Paul is really talking about with the impurity of our desires? It is not just our sex drives. What it is is our desire for pleasure, our propensity to please ourselves, to make ourselves feel good. That's what Paul is warning against here, this self-gratifying desire in us to do what, what looks best, what, what's going to taste best, what's going to feel best, what's going to make me happiest and most content in the moment. And Paul warns against that. Second, Paul talks about serving and seeking direction from false gods through ungodly means. He talks about idolatry and, and witchcraft. Right? We, we may be tempted to look at that and say, idolatry and witchcraft, well, those don't apply to today. <laughs> idolatry and witchcraft, like that, that's not even something we struggle with today. Or we might, we, we might get self-righteous and say, well, that's something that happens in other cultures where they have temples. Like, look around us. We don't have temples to false gods. We're, we're a Christian nation. Might I submit to you that we are more idolatrous than most nations? We may not worship a god in a temple but we worship a whole lot of gods that aren't Jesus. Whether it's our own success, our own stature, whether sometimes maybe our kids become a, a false god. Ooh, did he just say that? Where our entire lives revolve around our kids and, and everything else, including the Lord Jesus, takes a second place. Maybe even our church, our church buildings. Sometimes church buildings become idols. That's actually a, a thing in, in church, like pastoral, clerical um, circles, as we talk about the sacred cows in churches. That there are things in our church that we worship that are meant to point us to Jesus, but we worship instead of Jesus. We go on and on. The, the idols in our culture are legion. But you know what was really interesting to me as I was looking at this was witchcraft. 
Because we might get on our high horse and talk about movies that present witchcraft. You know when it talks about witchcraft, it's not talking necessarily about spellcasting. The, the word that's used in the Greek is actually pharmakia. Pharmakia. What word does that sound like to you? Pharmakia. Someone say it loud. Pharmacy. You know what's interesting? There's a whole lot of pharmakia plaguing Seymour, Indiana. In the context of this passage, witchcraft is using substances to curse another or to create a feeling or a sensation that could be described as a spiritual sensation within us. Now, we might say that, that our pharmacia doesn't go that far, but does it not? Is it not something that is to control or, or to, to allow us to control our own feelings and emotions, to, to placate and to bring about pleasure? Are we not, in some sense, worshiping ourselves? Paul goes on, though. To strife and separation. And this is a long list that I am not going to even begin defining for you. Because Paul says, the acts of the flesh are, quote, obvious. You know. I know. We know. Hatred. Discord. Having animosity or hostility towards others. to, To be disagreeable, difficult to get along with. Jealousy. Which is actually the word from which we get zealous. To be passionate about me above all else at the expense of you. Fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy. Then drunkenness and orgy, which is actually just trying to live the good life. Drunkenness and orgy, those always come together and they describe festal procession. Which means partying it up. I'm just going wherever the good time is. Wherever the party is, that's what I'm going to go to. And I'm going to do whatever I have to, to feel good in that moment. Again, Paul says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. You don't need me to describe this list. You know. You know. And you know which ones apply to you. Whether or not you're willing to be honest with it publicly, we all know when we can look at things on this list and say, I may not struggle with all of them all the time, but I struggle with a good portion of them some of the time. James tells us in James 1, 13 through 15, that, that these seeds of desire lie within us, and if not treated, if we continue to cultivate those temptations, they will give birth to sin and death. That the, the acts of the the flesh will produce the fruit of the flesh, which is death and separation from God. Paul says, don't, don't give in to these acts that are obvious. But instead, he says, seek the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. Rather than actions growing out of our own instincts and will, these are divinely implanted qualities that, that when cultivated, grow into loving service to others in accordance with the will of God. And the example of Jesus. And these are, in, these are in triplets. They're internal attitudes. Love, joy, peace, forbearance. That they're habits of the mind that, that, that focus us properly and help us to see others in the way that we should see them. And then we see disposition, character qualities that are about our disposition towards others. Patience or forbearance or long-suffering. Kindness and goodness. 
It's a, it's willingness to endure and, and to do what is necessary to bring about good in the lives of others, to care for others as they need, to spread the grace of Jesus. And finally, a, a readiness to react with grace, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This faithfulness is not directed towards God, but it is directed towards others, the way that we interact with them, being a, someone that we can count on, that what we say we believe will be what will determine our actions to them. We must maintain control of our responses and situation rather than allowing them to control us. Now, when we look at this, you may have seen my, my fruits up here. We might be prone to think of this, the fruit of the Spirit, and some of you have, might even say this, the fruits of the Spirit. I encourage you to look at the text. It actually says, the fruit of the Spirit. Singular, one fruit. Now, we like to think of the fruit of the Spirit as the fruits of the Spirit, and I get why, because it's easier. Right? This, this is a little fruit salad that I made right here, and in this fruit salad, there are some blueberries, and some strawberries, and some apples, and some little oranges. But then there is the bane of my existence in here. Cantaloupe. <laughs> Cantaloupe. <laughs> right? That is nasty. Like, if you like cantaloupe, I am sorry. It tastes like roses smell. And roses smell good, but they apparently do not taste good. I'm not about cantaloupe. You know what? So if I'm going to eat this fruit salad, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to pick around it. Probably, I'm probably going to start with the little oranges because I like the little oranges. Those are good, right? They're sweet, got a little bit of sour, nice and juicy, right? And then I might go to a strawberry because who doesn't like strawberries, right? Out of season, so they're not as good as they should be, but <laughs> still boss, right? Then I'll go to the apple because who doesn't like a good apple? Like that is the quintessential fruit of all fruits. So I made an apple. And then if I have to and there's nothing else to eat, I might eat the blueberries. But I could take them or leave them. But you know what I will not eat unless I am super de desperate? Cantaloupe. <laughs> and I think that we like to think of the fruit of the Spirit as the fruits of the Spirit because then it's a fruit salad. And we can come and we can, we can say, God, I'm struggling, this one. And then we can pick and choose the ones that we like and leave the ones that we don't. But God doesn't give us that option. The fruit of the Spirit is not a fruit salad. Everyone say that with me. The fruit of the Spirit is not a fruit salad. The fruit of the Spirit is a fruit, singular. Now, I want you all to help me for a second. And I know that we're long on time. I don't care. What is this? This is an apple. Someone describe this apple for me right quick. It's red. It's round. Right? It's red. It's round. Now I could also I could I could pull out a little knife here and and I could cut it open and we could have some further qualities that we could describe it as, right? Like what someone said juicy, right? Juicy? What'd you say? It's ripe. What anything else? I could it's crunchy. It, it's say that again. Firm. It's firm. It's sweet. Right? We could, we could give all these characteristics. Now, this is what I'm submitting to you. That rather than thinking about the fruit of the Spirit as a fruit salad, which is a bunch of different fruits that we can pick and choose, the fruit of the Spirit is one fruit with a lot of character qualities. And that you and I are to be not like this fruit salad, which is kind of like we are, a box of crazy. We're supposed to be like this apple. 
It's one fruit that demonstrates all of the good character qualities. This is what our lives are to be like. Now, you may look at that list like me and you say, no way. I can't do that. Like, especially, like, if I think about it in fruit salad terms, like, ain't nobody likes long-suffering. Anybody ever made the mistake of praying for God to give you patience? Zero out of 100 recommend. Because you know what happens when you pray for patience? When you pray for long-suffering, God help, helps you to suffer longly. But these are all supposed to be character qualities that we demonstrate. These are character qualities that define Jesus. These are character qualities that, that when we demonstrate in our lives and our actions and our attitudes, the reality of the spirit within us is coming out. And this is where, for a while this week, I looked at it this, and I was like, what, what is so spiritual about this? You know what's spiritual about this? Is this is supernatural. When a person truly demonstrates love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, that is a special person. And when we see someone who's demonstrating all of those things, we look at them and we know something is going on there. That person has something that I need. These are the fruits that should be seen within us. These are character qualities that are only possible for us when we learn to lean into the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit within us. And we may be able to demonstrate one or two or three or four on our own, but the complete set is a supernatural work of grace. And that's the great thing about the Holy Spirit is we like to look at the gifts, right? We want to think about the big things. We want to think about healing. We want to think about speaking in languages we don't know. We want to think about being able to walk through a crowd without any, that, that wants to hurt us without anybody touching us. We want to think about all of these big, like, dramatic, showy things but God, I don't think, is really trying to bring about the showy things. The showy thing that God wants to bring about is you. You are the fruit that God wants to produce. We've got to die to self so that the Spirit of God might bring new life in us. Paul says, those who belong to Christ have been crucified in the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Jesus said, if anyone would follow me, let them daily take up their cross and follow me. It's a daily choice. And every day we have the choice, am I going to follow the flesh or am I going to follow the spirit? Every day we have the choice of am I going to pick up my cross and follow Jesus and serve the world he came to save or am I going to put it to the side and do whatever I want? We have to make that choice. Will we die to self in order that we live to Christ? Because brothers and sisters, we are the fruit of the Spirit. We are the fruit that the, that the Spirit desires to produce within us. And these are simply qualities describing what people who are living by the Spirit will look like. You know what I think? I think the fruit of the Spirit for First Baptist Church is kids passionately singing every Sunday morning with all they have. You know what I think is the fruit of the Spirit is people continuously coming in and sharing with us their hurts, their habits, and their hang-ups and seeking people to help them, to strengthen them to walk forward in Christ, to be different. 
You know, I think is the fruit of the Spirit is people continually coming, having had an encounter with the living and risen God and saying, I want to demonstrate in that, that in my own life, can I be baptized? See, the fruit of the Spirit is here. The fruit of the Spirit is you and it is me. May we lean into that. May we seek the Spirit. May we follow the Spirit. And may we have eyes to see and ears to hear what God is doing. And may we follow and may God continue to do wonderful and miraculous things here in our midst and in our lives as we go out into the world. As we continue to follow where he leads. Father God, I thank you so much for the truth of your word. The goodness of your grace. And the promise of your power in and through our lives. God, I pray that you would help us to hear and see you, Lord, to to listen to your still small voice within us, Lord, that we would know that you are here and that you have never left. May we submit and surrender to you anew every day, taking up our cross and seeking to follow you. God, we confess that we can't do it on our own. That it's only through your power and presence that we are made whole, that we are made right. May we use our freedom to seek and serve you, to love the world you came to save. In Jesus' name.